0: Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learn to dot com slash newsletter. But when I transitioned
1: into just using three primaries, then everything I made, all the papers I made, they all went together, you know, and it made everything so much
0: easier. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with artist Katherine Rains. In the conversation, you'll discover a strategy to ensure all your collage papers go together, reasons to build pieces on paper, not more expensive surfaces, and some great ideas for how to stay organized in your studio so that you can create the work you love. In the extended cut bonus available in the Podcast Art Club, we talk about how to make art for the process, not the product, what allows you to work fast, and we get more into design. Take a listen now by joining the Podcast Art Club at any tier, and you'll find over 30 additional extended cut bonuses to explore. Plus, you'll get access to monthly group challenges, each designed to help you build practical tools into your art practice. For show notes and to see some of Rain's work, head to to slash podcast slash episode 85. I start the interview by asking Raines how she got started in art. I started by
1: accident. I never intended to be an artist. In my family of origin, I had a mother, father, very artistic. They drew, paint, sculpt, write, all hobby, but they were very, very good. But there wasn't really room in my house for me doing that. I was never encouraged to do it. I never thought I could do anything. And the reason I thought I couldn't was because you have to know how to paint and draw, right, to be an artist. And that wasn't anything, I never took any art classes as as a kid. I was very self-conscious about what I made. However, the whole time I was always crafting. So I knitted, crocheted. I was a scrapbooker long before it was a popular thing to do. So really art wasn't part of my language. And it didn't come into my life until I was on a very different career path. I basically prepared my whole life to do one job, which is to be a career development director at a university. And I was doing really well at it. You know, I was being rewarded. I was shooting for a bigger job at that point. I was thirty-three. I was thirties, early thirties, and I was really unhappy. You know, here I had gotten a master's. I had moved to a second-tier job to get this so-called bigger job, and it was stressful. I didn't like it. It didn't fit me, and I was a career development director. So it was just like kind of ironic. It was actually at age thirty-three. I started doing career development on myself and a classic exercise is you write a list of all the things you'd love to do as a kid, but you weren't told to do them. So I did it for myself and I wrote this long list, everything from Barbie dolls to make a fort to, I don't know, you name it, but teach my sister how to read. And right in the middle of the list was the word collage. And I have, I have a picture actually on my art board of me as a 10 year old holding the only collage I'd ever made, but obviously it was a memory, you know, it kind of stuck with me. So I thought, okay, I'm desperate here. I need relief. I need some kind of stress relief. I could do a collage, right? And who can't tear up paper? So one Sunday I gathered up all of the magazines and, you know, whatever I had in the house, magazine-wise, and I tore them up, made a collage, and I just, my heart just exploded. It was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. By the way, it was horrible. It was a really, really horrible collage. Now, back then I thought it was the bomb. I thought it was amazing but it was very juvenile looking. But I loved it so much that I just kept making them for three years. I did it pretty much every day. I had dozens and dozens of these things piled up and eventually I framed them and put them all over my office. At my university job, my colleagues would come to my office, my students would come in and they'd go, oh, you have children. I don't have children. I don't know why that didn't bother me because this was my soul on the wall. Everyone was a self-portrait. So that's where it got started. You know, It was kind of a fluke. And then eventually I left this university job. I went into basically corporate life and I took my very, very first art class and that was at age 37. And I took it from someone who was actually teaching magazine collages. That was his medium. And he was a selling artist in Santa Fe. And in one week's time, I went from very juvenile to not bad. From that on, that little spark right there, I decided that's it. I'm going to be a full-time artist. Now it took me another... It was a number of years past that, but that's where it kind of like ignited itself.
0: Having a day job and a paycheck, what did that give your art development? Well, it's
1: interesting because when I was younger, meaning like in my late 30s, early 40s, I was thinking that the paycheck was keeping me from doing the art. So I did just at age 40, I thought, okay, 40, that's old. I have got to do this if I'm going to do this. So I did quit and I became a full time artist for four years and I did sell. I was basically going, doing art festivals, and I had a few one-woman shows, and I was selling, but it was an incredibly, incredibly stressful time because I was constantly in production mode as opposed to making art mode, although the art part was phenomenal. I loved doing the art, but I had to make a living because I had to contribute to my the household income, so I couldn't just make the art. And after four years, eventually, that's a whole other story, but eventually, I did go back to my corporate job. It's just life Asked me to do that basically. Life said you had to do this. So I went back to my corporate job. I realized that I'd probably jumped off too soon when I was 40. Not that I wasn't ready. I had art that was selling, but I wasn't following kind of like the signs, whatever that is. You know, I really believe that I will land in the right place if I don't push it. If I just kind of like say, okay, put me where I'm supposed to be. I did go back to corporate life. I stayed there for 12 years. I had no idea it was going to be that long. I intended to go one or two, a little tiny little jump back in. I stayed a long time, but the whole time, the entire time I asked myself, well, basically I asked the universe, when is the right time and make it really damn obvious. And then I'll go. And so at the end of 12 years, the universe made it very damn obvious. And I did jump off again. And that was 2018. So I've been a full-time artist again. However, I have never given up my day gig entirely. And there's a really good reason. So I still do one week a month about. But the reason I stick with the job is because it takes the pressure off having to make good art and to sell the art. So when I quit my job a second time in 2018, I actually didn't sell any art for like two or three years because I just focused on what do you want to do with art? You know, it was the first time I had enough time other than when I was a full-time artist before, but then I was just sell, 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 sell. This opened the door, you know, like, okay, maybe you're a painter. Maybe you're supposed to draw portraits. I have no idea because all I've ever done was collage. Having a day gig on the side, even though it was only, you know, 25% of the time, all I cared about at that point was just pay the bills. And the rest of it was all art. And I still do it today, but now I actually do sell. Most of my income actually comes from art. So one day I'll give up this little temporary day gig, but You know, it's
0: hard to give it up when you know it's coming in. Art, you don't know it's coming in. When you had like full-time or even a part-time day job, how did you set up systems where you made sure you still protected time for your art? Or was that even a conscious thing you were doing?
1: That's like the million-dollar question.
0: When I went back to work the second time, I really
1: intended to keep doing art on the side. I never intended to let it go, but the job I had was 100% travel. So I was on the road pretty much all the time. It didn't take long before I realized I can't do art. There was no art. So for 10 whole years, I did zero, no art at all. You know, maybe a little dabbing in the, in the weekends, but it basically was no art. And it was a very painful thing. I was grieving pretty much, even though I have, by the way, I had a phenomenal, I still have a phenomenal job. It's great. But it's, you know, my food is, is the art. So at the 10 year mark, it kind of like Dawn on me, I have got to have art and my job. I wasn't ready to quit. So, what I did is, this is actually January 2015. I sat down and made this outrageous plan to bring art back into my life because I figured, you know, how much time do we spend watching TV or playing on our phones? I mean, there's a lot of pockets of time that I could probably gather all together and have art time. So, this is the plan. The plan was I was going to get up at five o'clock every morning seven days a week. When I was home, I would have to be in my studio by 6.30 a.m. I would have three hours solid to do art. And then I would do my day gig. My day gig was actually, it's a you know remote kind of job, always has been. When I was on the road, which was almost every week, and this is Monday through Friday every week, I would pack two 50-pound suitcases. And one 50-pound suitcase was full of art supplies, probably 20 pounds of paint canvas, drop cloth, and it didn't matter what hotel I was going to, it could be a little cubicle in New York City, which I've had, I would set up an art studio. And the kind of the rules I set up for myself was I work all day. But then by 7pm, I had to be back in my hotel room. And I was going to do art. And so I, the general idea was the guidelines was two to three hours at night, but I often, you know, worked till midnight because once I got in, I was so excited. You know, I would just keep going. So I did that for a long time. I did that from 2015 until I actually quit my job in 2018, created a ton of work, all little, you know, but that's how I kind of probably got into the whole kind of rhythm of small work because that's all I had to do small work on the road. And that's what really got me out of full time work.
0: Was there something about the daily commitment that made it Simple in the sense of like not necessarily easy to do, but really clear if you showed up or not that day? That's a great question.
1: Yeah, it was the momentum of it. And, you know, it's interesting. It actually, this whole thing where me, you know, me doing it every single day, starting in 2015, actually started with a a 30 day commitment. So I said, okay, just do this for 30 days. You can do that. And so I had a little countdown on my phone. And I think I just started Instagram, probably, you know, and I go, okay, day one, this is what we're doing. And then at the end of 30 days, I went, well, that wasn't that bad. Let me try 60. And so I went to 60 and I said, let's do 100. And then eventually got to 365. And then I just kept going. And for me, it's counting. Like if I count things like, okay, day one. Okay, now day 65. Okay, now we're on 385. By the way, I also counted how many days I was in COVID isolation.
0: I mean, just counting things keeps me moving in one direction. Were there any parameters you set for yourself? Other than the showing up every day. Back then, no. You know, back then it was show up every day and
1: really just follow. Because I, mean, I was working all day. You know, I had a very demanding on my feet. I was basically entertaining people for eight hours a day on stage. So I gave myself the luxury of doing whatever lit me up. Now, I did have to pre-plan this, you know, so I had to figure out what to bring with me. But I brought so much with me that there was lots of choices, you know, of what I might want to do. I do live with parameters now because that actually helps my art. But back then, no. I wasn't I didn't even know to do that back then.
0: We're going to transition into materials you work with papers you make. So, what are you actually making your papers on for collage? Anything that you would call the word paper, anything that
1: constitutes a paper. So, my favorite paper is rice paper, but I use all varieties of copy paper, stacks and stacks of books that people have donated to me old books. I love watercolor paper, mixed media paper. Actually, I like to experiment with it all. So I make, making my own collage papers is actually very new for me. As in like three, maybe three or four years ago, I transitioned from magazines and things you could find to most of my collages are now made with painted papers, but really they're made of all kinds of things. Tea bags, you name it, napkins. What paint do you use for making papers? Primarily acrylic. I have a favorite brand, which is Nova. Although I've got, you know, every just like every artist, I've got the biggest collection of paint. You know, it's like ridiculous how much paint I own. But it's interesting because last probably a year ago, my mentor and coach, her name is Kelly Wynn Conrad. She introduced me to the concept of just using primaries, and from ever since then, I've been doing that. And I wish someone had turned me on to this a long time ago. Actually, someone did tell me that when I was on the road, traveling with twenty pounds of paint. I remember someone telling me on Instagram, why don't you just bring three primaries? And I I didn't know. I didn't know what that did. You know, I'm not a I didn't go to art school. I didn't know that three primaries could be everything. But when I transitioned into just using three primaries, then everything I made, all the papers I made, they all went together. You know, and it made everything so much easier. So I'm a devotee of three colors. And so I don't know how many bottles of paint I have, you know, Golden, Liquitex, Lucas, I've got every brand, but now I'm just, I love Nova. I just buy three colors in Nova and I'm sure I'll transition to three other primaries time in the future. But right now for a collage artist, you know, when you may are making all your own papers, they got to go together, you know, and if I experiment with papers that, and that's fine if they don't go together, but I'm going to have to glaze over them and do something to make them go. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time.
0: And we'll talk about color more later, but what are the three primary colors you use? Right now,
1: I'm in love with Philo Blue, Green Shade, Hansa Yellow Light, and Quim Magenta. In with Nova. Those are my three for the moment. But I've been using it for over a year, and I
0: don't see myself changing anytime soon. When you're making papers, how complex or simple are those papers you're making?
1: I'm basically following what papers kind of excite me in the moment. And they're the papers that I'm more than likely I'm going to demo for my weekly demos on YouTube. But ironically, right now, part of what I do every week is I make these papers. And again, it's just whatever paper I think, oh, that'd be fun to do. Kind of like lights me up. I'm hoping it lights other people up too. But every third, like four or five weeks, I now want to take the papers I just made and show people how to use them also on YouTube. And so now I'm being much more conscious because I really want to show people how to use the papers, not just make the papers. So now I'm being very conscious. Okay. You don't want to be wild, you know, for four weeks. So like this coming week, I'm going to make a paper that's much more subtle. So it has to be a balance because, you know, when you make a collage, you don't want just all busy paper. Like I just spent a couple of weeks making marbling paper, which is, oh my God, you just want to eat it. It is so gorgeous. But then this current week, I made something, it's not like marbling, but it is very intense, like a lot of design in it. It's like, you really can't put those two together, even though they go together color-wise. So I was thinking this for this coming week, how can I tone this down? Because you
0: can't have everything loud. So you're making these papers, but what are you actually building the collages on when you make them?
1: At the moment, I'm making them on mixed media paper. I have done them on canvas, canvas and on cradled boards, like actually make them on something, you know, that's substantive that you could actually make as an end product But now I really like, prefer doing it on either a heavy watercolor or a mixed media because it takes the fear factor out of it. If I'm sitting there with a 10 by 10 piece of paper, I go, I don't like it, I'm just throwing it away. But if I had a 10 by 10 cradled board that I spent, you know, $15 on, even though it's only $15, suddenly it's precious. You know, I've got to make something out of this cradled board. So my preferred way of doing it is I make the collage on the 10 by 10. And by the way, I almost always love them. But, you know, out of, let's say, 50 collages, I'll have three duds. I'm okay with that. But then I take those and I mount them on cradle boards, you know, with black edges. I think they're very sharp. But people ask me, like, when I I teach people, they go, why don't you just make it on the cradle board? Oh, there's a good answer for that. In fact, I remember over and over again, I'll say to myself, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And my husband will come in and go, you know how to make a collage. It's like someone has to remind me. I really do know how to do this. It's very juvenile, but I, there's other artists that I know that are just like this. There's an artist named Bob Burridge. I probably learned it from him. I took a class from him. And I remember he only made on paper and he mounted them. I went, wow. And he makes big pieces and he mounts them afterwards. And it's for the same reason. Plus he wants to travel with them. That's not why I do it. I do it just to make it easy for myself. You know, Take away the intimidation of putting it on something expensive.
0: Well, then what do you use to actually adhere the papers to each other and to the watercolor paper or the surface you're working on?
1: Primarily either gel medium or just a regular medium, usually Liquitex.
0: That is my glue. And then when you're laying them down, how do you keep them wrinkle-free or like without air bubbles?
1: When you're using your own painted papers, there's not many air bubbles because it's pretty substantive paper and I've already layered lots of paint on it too, so It depends on if it's a really thin paper, like I do a lot of tissue on my collages, then I'm using them just a regular medium, which is really liquid. And I will do, oh, I do a catalyst wedge, you know, just to make sure I get all of the bubbles out. If I'm doing something heavier, which most of my papers are not tissue, they're heavier, it'll be a gel medium. It's the same thing. I'm just moving the bubbles out with a catalyst wedge. However, I also still do a lot of magazines. I use magazines very different now than I did. Now I'm looking for magazines that just have some kind of interesting texture to them like some kind of pattern, which I didn't do before. I was very much a realistic collage artist. So the magazines is really the issue. When people learn from me, they're always asking me, how do you get your magazine so flat? Part of the answer is I don't always. My style is abstract collage. So when you're making an abstract collage, if I have a little bubble in there that I couldn't get out, I'm not too concerned about it because I'm just going to camouflage it somehow. But you don't want a whole piece of magazine that's all rippled. Then it looks unprofessional. So I get most of them out. They're just a little tiny sliver, maybe. However, I have been experimenting with how to do better with this. And I just learned this technique where you can actually, if you put, I'll say, matte medium down, which is how I usually would do a magazine, put matte medium down, adhere the magazine piece, put matte medium on top. But there's a chance when you put a catalyst wedge across that, that you'll actually pull the ink off the magazine. So what I've learned to do recently, and I'm still experimenting with it, is to instead of putting more matte medium down, is to lay some water down on it. And the water actually flattens the piece. I mean, I still have to like very gently with my hand or a kettle's wedge, you know, try to get those little bubbles out. And that so far is actually working really well. I just need to play with it a little more. But the other solution is don't go for thin magazine paper. So typically, I go for really high-end magazines like Vogue, Elle, or design magazines, you know, Veranda or a photography magazine. Things that have a really thick paper to them. They're much more likely to go down really nicely as opposed to People magazine, which by the way, I don't use people magazine, but something like that, you know, something that like real simple, Oprah and real simple. You see my two favorites, but now they've put them on really cheap paper, thin. So they're hard to get down without making a mess. But again, I'm not all that concerned because I'm doing an abstract collage. You know, I'm thinking it's just part of the design. When
0: you put water on it, are you like spritzing it on like with like
1: a light mist spritz? That's one way of doing it. I was just put also just doing a little paintbrush, you know, just getting a just light covering on it. And then you could actually take a paintbrush and kind of push the
0: bubbles out a little bit as well. Well, collage can take a lot of material. So how do you not let your material sort of overwhelm your space and keep you from working? Learning how to organize massive amounts of paper
1: is really an art form all by itself. And it's taken me years to come up with a system So right behind me is a lateral file, a huge lateral file, two stories. And so I've gone through evolutions of this. I used to file just by color and then by what the pictures were about. Like I'd have a whole file of keys and of butterflies and, you know, things I might want to add to my collages. In recent history, almost everything is just by color and it's by value. So in like the blue file, it's light, medium and dark and values. Then when I'm getting ready to actually make a collage, so I'm storing gobs of paper, but when I'm ready to make a collage, you know, first I decide on what's the color palette. And by the way, it's usually with those three paints, you know, that I mentioned, but there's lots of, you know, you can make a thousand colors out of three primaries. So I go, okay, I want to make a teal, blue, green, and apple green with some white. That's just what kind of is exciting me. So I take out, you know, my green file, my blue file, and my yellow file, and my method is then to go through every single paper I own, basically, I'm touching the paper, going, "Do you love that paper?" And if I love it, it goes to the good pile, otherwise it just gets filed back. But what happens is, is I come up with short piles of paper that I am so excited to go work on I can't stand myself, you know in the palette, I think, and there are short piles it might be like ten pieces of blue in three different values, and then maybe I'll have ten pieces of three different values of teal and. That way, it's actually a very limited amount of papers I work with, but they're being stored all together. But I am making so many papers now because I do these paper demos every week. I'm trying to decide, actually, I don't need them all. You know, and people keep saying, well, you should sell them. I don't know if it's even worth selling them. So I may just like be giving them away. I don't know because I, the accumulation of them is quite enormous. But, you know, in order to get papers you love, you know, if I make, let's say, fifty papers in a week, which is common, I probably love ten of them. So then I have forty that I like and there's ten I probably hate. But you know, you you go through a lot before you find what you really love. So the question is what to do. You know, so I do have a big dud pile, a huge, a mountain dud pile. And you know, I can layer on top and eventually, you know, they do get recycled. So hardly anything gets thrown away. But
0: but it sounds like they don't go into the file folder until you love them as a paper.
1: No, that's not true. Well, if I hate them, they go in the dead pile. So they don't make the file cabinet. But if I reasonably think they're okay, they have potential, yeah, they do get filed. But then they don't go actually go into I actually have a they're IKEA boxes, like just that are like ten by thirteen boxes. When I'm making a collage, then I'll do I'll pull them out of the file cabinet, put the ones I love, love in file folders by value. So blue, three values, green, three values. That way I have a short amount of papers to choose from and it doesn't get overwhelming. So let's say I'm making a series of four collages and I want to, you know, usually I don't make just one collage. So I'm making, let's say four with this color palette. I will pull out the papers that I think I want to use for all four. I'll make my first draft of all four. Then I've got to put all those papers back in the file cabinet. Because otherwise, I have papers everywhere, you know, so in between each set, I have to start it all over again. By the way, I'm not excited about like, if I make another four collages, I just made four collages. Now I want to make four more. I'm not excited about those papers anymore.
0: Now they're boring. So I have to kind of like recycle. Is there sort of a discipline element too of like resetting your space before the next thing starts?
1: Yeah, yeah, I didn't used to do that.
0: I used to like work in chaos. You know, there's papers
1: everywhere. There's paint everywhere. And it just, it, I don't do really well. I really realized this just a few years ago, you know, that I really need to constantly redo it. The problem is, so last year, the full year, I was creating an online art class. It's called Collage Joy. And I was doing art, but I was doing art for the class. And because I was so incredibly busy, things just started piling up. In fact, it's on my Instagram feed. And it shows how bad it was. I mean, I just can't even describe it because I wasn't resetting. like I didn't have time to do that. And so when it was finally over, which was, say, probably in March of this year, I finally was like, OK, I'm really actually done. I spent two full weeks going through every single corner, including this entire file cabinet. There's thousands of papers here. I took every single paper, went through every one. And I recycled probably four fifths of them because they didn't fit me anymore. You know, they were part of my old life. And so now I have a new and improved studio, but that happens like every two or three years where I have to revamp the whole thing. But best practice for me is if I do it every time I finish something, like I just finished something yesterday and I just revamped my studio. And I I told myself, you can't do this again. It will happen again. But if I let it go, you know, oh, it's just a little pile. And a little pile of, okay, no. That little pile becomes another pile on top of the pile. It's bad. So I'm trying to like discipline myself not to let that happen again. Because it took me two weeks
0: to, to get the piles cleared up. Also, I imagine it feels better to create in a space where you're not tripping over things. Yeah. And
1: plus, you know, you can't see anything. When I wasn't putting things away in between, papers are everywhere. You can't, to me, how do I know what my real choices are if I'm looking at all the choices? For me, I've got to have a limited number of things to look at or I'm just all over the place. I don't. It takes me three or four times longer to make a collage because I have too many choices. I need to. That's why I need to limit it down to just the things that excite me right now. Well, then you started talking about your process. Could you walk us through your process as a whole? It begins with deciding what colors I'm excited about in the moment. Sometimes I don't know what colors I want to use. So I'll go, okay, let me just start with a teal file. Teal is my favorite color, by the way, to make a collage out of. And then once I start going through them, then I start looking at colors that are, you know, what would I also want to put with it? So usually starts with, well, actually always starts with what just kind of like lights me up when I think about, yeah, teal and apple green. In fact, right now I'm thinking, ooh, that sounds really good. I want to make something with those. That's where I start. So I go through those files, pick up those papers, and they're real limited number of papers. Wouldn't be any more than 50 papers total for all the papers I'm going to use. And I lay them all in front of me. So I've got all my little value papers laid in front of me. Then I have to decide what's my series going to look like. When I sell a collection, it's usually like 30 pieces, something like that. I make small, and it's probably just a remnant from my traveling days, but I like small. So at the moment, we're doing small. So I think, okay, I want to make a small series of six, six, six by sixes. That sounds good. So I cut those substrates, you know, my mixed media paper, I make six by sixes. I coat both sides with gesso because that's the other thing, you know, paper is flimsy. So I have to make sure it's really sturdy. The most important part of my process is my stopwatch. If I'm making small, I know it doesn't take that long, you know, to cover up a six by six. So I got my papers all ready for me. I'm not going to go paint papers. The papers, you know, have been done. So I put a stopwatch on for a six by six. I figure 10 minutes. So 10 minutes, go. And then what I do is I just look at the papers in front of me and I go, okay, which paper do I love the most? Like, which one would make me so happy if I put it in this collage? Rip it, put it down. And then, okay, I need a contrast in color. So I look for a color that's both contrast in color and value. Find another one, put it down. And I go very, very fast. I don't think the stopwatch part of this keeps me from analyzing like is this any good the insecure part of me thinks oh you don't know how to do this what are you doing because you know it's so easy for that to come up because you know collage and, and this is true with, I mean probably a lot of art when you're making it it looks awful you know it doesn't really look like I'm making anything so I just focus on putting contrasting colors you know colors that go together but they really strike each other different And sometimes maybe I want a quiet conversation next to a loud conversation. You know, I don't want everything like exciting and values. So that is the first 10 minutes. So I can put 10 minutes down. That's not gluing. That's just placing papers. The papers also have usually different sizes. So I focus on if I have a big piece here, I can't have that size piece anywhere else. You know, if I have a little piece, I can't have that size little piece anywhere else. So everything has a lot of contrast in size, color, and value. So once I have that first draft down, then it gets glued down and I don't put any time on gluing, you know, so gluing could take me, you know, 20 to 30 minutes to get it down, let it dry. And then I get my whole series up to the same point, you know, so now I have six first drafts all glued. And then I look at them as a whole and I call it collage doodling. It's kind of the low hanging fruit. What would be fun to add to each one of these collages that would tie them all together even more than the paper's? Because they all came from the same papers. Like, what element? Like, do I want to put a circle on them? Or do I want to put a butterfly? I don't do too many butterflies, but I used to. You know, I got all of a single element that goes
0: on each single one of them. That's basically it. So let's say, like, you're in this 10-minute laying down part, and you pick up, let's say, a teal paper with one-inch dots. If you use that in one collage, will you then use that same physical paper on the other five? I'll try. But I don't, I'm not religious about like
1: that one polka dot paper has to be on every one of them, but I do want the same colors and values in every one of them. So all six will have the same value teal paper because I've got a selection of, let's say it was a medium paper. So I have a medium value papers. I got like four or five to choose from, and I might want that dots. You know, if I can, I will, because I love when it draws all the way through, but I also don't want six collages that have all the same papers on six collages because it kind of like makes it kind of boring a little bit. But if I have the same colors and the same values, you know, and just maybe one or two papers that get pulled through, like I'm really in love with black and white checkerboard. And that makes a really easy thing to pull through all six of a small collage. So I'd say most of my collages have a black and white checkerboard or a circle or a circle and a checkerboard. You know, they're just some elements just,
0: I don't know, they just kind of easily make a collage come together. When you're choosing those papers... Are you thinking more about, so like clearly you're in color families, but are you thinking more about pattern or are you thinking more about value? What do you need to make sure you get when you're collecting the papers to use? When I'm actually making the collage,
1: first and foremost is value. I don't want to have all medium value across the whole collage. So I'm looking for, do I have some interest in terms of light and darks and mediums? You know, I want a lot of different things happening but I don't want things happening in contrast all over it. I also want some, what Nicholas Wilton would call the, you know, the quiet spot, you know, it's a quiet conversation, but my pieces are so small that I can get away with a lot of contrast. You know, the bigger you get, the more I think you need to have quieter conversations, but then contrast is certainly important too. But, you know, you would ask me earlier about, you know, my papers, are they, am I looking for papers that have a lot of busyness? That's what I would call or kind of quiet papers. And that is also what I'm looking for because I'm looking for contrast in all ways, not just value contrast. But if I've got something that is like just stripes like this, okay, that's good, but I don't want another stripe thing on the piece. Even though it may have a value contrast, I can get stripes in another color. To me, it would distract, especially when you're dealing with such a small surface. So for me, it's contrast in value and the kind of paper it is, the color
0: and the size. When you're thinking about value in a patterned piece of paper. Obviously, if it's like a light yellow on a cream background, that's going to read as a light value. But what about white one-inch circles on a black background? How do you place high contrast papers in a value category? You're probably looking at a piece that has that exact thing. So I have a piece of wrapping paper
1: that's dark black with white big white circles on it. And generally, that reads as a dark value to me because I'm going to put that down, but I need something pretty light next to it, like a teal that's kind of in the medium to lighter value. But that dark black is really dominant. The white dots add interest to it. It really depends on which one is dominant. So if it was a white piece of paper with some black dots, then that primarily would read as a light value for me, because I'm going to put something darker next to it, even though I've got these dark dots on it. You know, most of it's gut. That's why I've never actually put it into words, but you know, it's like, if I've got white polka dots on black, I'm looking for something that is from a collage standpoint, that's like, I wouldn't put anything else with polka dots on the whole piece. Like those, that polka dots is already so loud. It's so prominent that I need something very subtle with little pattern next to it. So it's, it's really a matter of how am I going to balance all that contrast. And I'm talking about contrast and pattern. You know, I need something quieter. It can just be quieter color. Black is so bold, and you know, white is you know, obviously white is light, but it has to be something that doesn't compete with these big polka dots.
0: It sounds like there's parts of your process that are fast, but I also imagine there are parts of your process that are slow. Where do you start to slow down, and what does that pacing look like? So, if I was a, a full painter, like all I did was paint,
1: this would be the same for a painter of just breaking the white surface. So, when I do a first draft by just getting the pieces down, I mean, it is pretty much a finished collage almost, by the way, but that is what the process feels like. Like I just got to get something done on that canvas in the 10 minutes, but then the intimidation of starting a collage is over. It's like, okay, I got the foundation here. And very often I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I like this or not, but I have enough experience to know that if I just lay another couple pieces down on it and maybe put a little bit of paint to pull it together, it'll be a finished piece of work that I love. Because collage itself, you know, you're putting pieces of paper. You know, I fill up a piece of paper with another all these little papers, and as long as I'm following these basic contrast rules, which are I want tons of contrast in all ways possible, somehow it works out because I don't have a lot of boring corners. There's something happening all over, and hopefully they don't compete with each other. These little elements all kind of work together because there's contrasting all the way through it. So it gets very slow once I do the first. Whew, You know, like, let's get them down. And then it comes to kind of living with them a little bit. It's like almost never do I finish them the same day. So I'll do my first drafts. I'll go away. And I might even be thinking to myself, I don't know if I have anything. And then I end up coming back to my studio like at midnight, all excited about them because I think, you know what, they may be okay. And then I'll look at them. I'll go, oh, my God, (laughs) they're fantastic. All they need. And then I get another rush, you know, and then I'll go, I just need to put this little thing here. And I put this little thing here. And that's when I do a lot of cohesion. I may not be using that one polka dot on every single piece, but the added elements, like I love hollow circles, but I don't want the same hollow circle on each one, but I want a different kind of hollow circle on each one or triangle, you know, something that tells the viewer that, yeah, these all go together. But I don't want all six pieces to be all the two unified. So that's when it slows down. So it slows down when I kind of let some space in
0: so that I can actually see them from a fresh eye. With the example of the six, do you work through those until you're finished? Or are you starting another set in the middle of finishing those six?
1: Typically, I'll go through all six and finish them. But you know, every now and then, I don't. I keep a five-year journal. And I was just reading my five-year journal from maybe two years ago. And I was working on like 16 at a time. And so I would go, okay, you got 16. But then I would just take two or three at a time and try to elevate them to a finished piece, but they all already went together.
0: What does working on six in a group together give you? Well, in most ways, it makes it simpler. Like I'm not
1: constantly trying to figure out what I want to do. All I have to decide in the beginning is just what's your color palette, how big you want to make them. And then each one of those six collages then becomes an independent artwork. I'm not really trying in the beginning to make them a cohesion. I'm just like, okay, these your papers. They're all the same size. That alone makes them read as they go together. And I want to create collections. I don't want to create independent pieces because I have did that for years. I did it for decades where everything was a separate piece and they're not as sellable. You know what, for me, it's hard for me just to put out, oh, I have this piece as opposed to I have these 25 pieces and they all go together. And because I'm making small, it's very common for people to buy more than one. So they're buying two to four of them and they're in a grouping. And even better, Because I am now very focused on staying within a certain color family. You could buy something from me now that goes with something you bought a year ago. But I'm not thinking, I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I don't have to make so many decisions. You know, like I focus on making a collage that kind of lights me, not kind of, it lights me up as I'm making it. And that is my entire goal. As I'm making it, I try to get all thoughts out of my head doesn't matter if I'm making the first draft or if I'm finishing it. I am very conscious of this little chattery mind that goes, this is awful. What are you doing? You know, you don't even have a collage. And if I can't stop that voice, I can go go do something else, you know, because it's really a useless thing. I could spend many, many, many hours on a single collage and just beat myself up, as opposed to, let me just be quiet. Let me just connect to the papers. I have this process... You know, it might sound a little corny, but I send love to the collage and I receive love from the collage and I send love to all the papers. Like, I want to feel connected to these things. So, if I do it all together, like I have all these papers, I've got these six collages, it's all part of one process. It just seems more seamless. And I think they read that way, even if they look very different in terms of there may be a slightly different color, they might have a different focal point, they still have the same energy, you know, the same kind of elements that I'm putting on each
0: one of them. So they read like a series. It just makes, for me, it's easier to make them that way. I'm also really struck listening to you talk about how, especially like when a beginner stands in their studio with this time they've held back from their family and friends, and they think, I'm going to make a finished painting. Like that is such an undertaking. And what I appreciate about what you're saying is that you're not asking yourself to finish a painting you're asking yourself to do the first step and you know what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I break it
1: down. And so the you know, I I did the stopwatch thing. I don't know where that came from, but it has been one of the most incredible tools I've ever used in my art, but it didn't used to be that way. The collages I used to make took me a year to make. Every collage was a year. So I would make 10 at a time but they were realistic collages. You know, I had, you know, full thing. Like I'd have a telephone. I know telephone, but I had to have real items. And they were very complicated and very detailed. I never want to create that way ever again. You know, my whole intention of creating art, first and foremost, is to fill myself up with the joy of making the art. And then I also want to turn it into a business. But why I make the art is because I want to feel connected to something. I want to have a connection through the art. And I trust that my art will land with people
0: that feel connected to it, you know, for whatever reason. So if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at collage, what advice do you give them? Well,
1: there's two pieces of advice. One is get on Instagram and, you know, put the word collage in there and start looking at all the artists that you get excited about. Like what style of collage really like, (gasps) I love that. Like, that's what you want to follow. If someone Goes to my feed, which happens all the time. People go, I love your collages. You know, this is not a sales piece. I would say, just take my free class. Collage Kickstart actually teaches you how to do a balanced collage. And beginners are like absolutely blown away. They can make a fantastic collage. Just follow my little tiny rules. They're just little baby rules. And then you can go off from there. So that's how I learned. I took so many classes, but once I realized that collage was it, Then I just focused on collage artists and I just started taking a little bit from each one of them. You know, I was making these very structured, digital, realistic collages, but I'd always in my heart wanted to make what I'm making now. It's always what I wanted to make, but I had no idea how to make this thing. So there's an artist called Kelly Ray Roberts. So Kelly and I have nothing in common. I mean, other than that, we're very spiritual women, but I just loved how she was making collages. You know, she made these angels that I loved. And they were all over the place, but they all worked together, you know, even though there was always disparate things going on. So she offered this was back in like 2016. She offered a class on how to make her angels. And over a six month period, you'd make six angels. And so I didn't want to make angels. I had no desire to make angels, but I loved what she did. You know, like she would take wrapping paper and wallpaper and she did all these things that I wanted to do. So I made out of the six angels, I think I made three of them. And after three of them, I said, I got it. That's what I want to do. But then it went from there. You know, then I kept finding like Lolly Mill, who has another style of collage that I love. And there's Ivy Newport, who has another style of collage. And so I just kept adding what they do. Bob Burridge has another style of collage. Eventually, all those things came together for me to create what I wanted to do with it. And a long way to answer your short question was, I think you just got to follow a lot of people, you know, and you piece together what it is that lights you up. Because collage, that's like saying you want to be a painter. Like, what kind of painter do you want to be? Well, what do you want to paint? And this is like, what do you want to collage? There's a million ways to do collage. Like, there's a woman named Elizabeth St. Clair. I'm probably saying that name wrong. You know, she does mosaic collage. It's stunning, you know, and she's making these beautiful collage. But that's not my style. In fact, that sound looks too much like my old style, which is very meticulous. But I love it. I think it's gorgeous. I just don't want to do that. So I've got to find what's the one or piece together those pieces of collage that really excite you.
0: You can learn more about Katherine Rains, including her free five-day collage kickstart at her website, CatherineRains.com and on Instagram and YouTube. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Katherine. Kelly, truly, it was my pleasure. That's it for the main episode, but there's more great conversation with Katherine Rains. Take a listen now by joining the Podcast Art Club at any tier, and you'll find over 30 additional extended cut bonuses to explore. Plus, you'll get access to monthly group challenges, each designed to build practical tools into your art practice. The next one starts September 1st, and it's the 20 for 20 Art Challenge. Head to patreon.com slash learn to paint podcasts and sign up at any tier to listen to those extended cut bonuses. Thank you to everyone over in the podcast art club. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to high gloss supporters, Andrew atterberry Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna Derold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Pam Lyle, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting!